0: A feast in the midst of this time of famine. They are having a merry time with him, and we are going to leave them there until January. So that's, that's where they are. They're with Joseph in his house. They don't know him yet. They're feasting. and We will pick up with the rest of that story in January. This morning, as well as Wednesday night at the Joint Christmas Service and next Sunday we're going to be focusing our attention on these verses that we have just read from the Gospel of John. We're going to be particularly meditating and rejoicing in this truth that the Word became flesh. We're speaking of the Incarnation, the truth that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became man. This morning, we're going to spend our time speaking of who Christ was before this happened. What do we know about the Lord Jesus before He became a man? Did He exist? If He did exist, who was He? What was He doing before Christmas? Wednesday night, we're going to begin unpacking what it means that the Word became flesh Right, what does Paul mean in Philippians when he says that Jesus made himself nothing? Next Sunday we're going to look in a little more detail at how it is that Jesus is both God and man and what it means that he is both full of grace and truth. These are the kinds of messages that ought to move our hearts to worship um, these are a little more theologically dense. Lately, we've been very practical as we've been looking at some lessons from Joseph. This is more theological. We're going to get it into doctrine and truth. But it's not meant just to fill your mind with knowledge. It's meant to cause your heart to wander at the glory of this man who is also God, this one whom we rest in, the one whom we love, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning what I want to do is unpack the meaning of the Word became flesh by looking first at five truths that John teaches us here about who Christ was before the Incarnation. Five truths about who Christ was before the Incarnation. And the first truth we see is this, that Christ is eternal. Christ is eternal. The first verse of John reminds us a lot of the first verse of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. The word beginning refers to time, right? When you have time, you have a beginning, you have an end. So we're going back to the beginning of time, the the start of history. So so put your timeline in your mind of all of history Go back to the very beginning, the very first decimal point on this timeline of history. In the beginning was the Word. At the very first millisecond that ever existed, Jesus was. He was there. He already existed. Jesus did not begin to exist when He was conceived in the womb of Mary. He already existed then. Nor did Jesus begin to exist when God created the world. No, Jesus has no beginning. There was no first day of Jesus' life. He has always existed. In fact, to think in terms of time is to think wrongly about our Lord. Jesus as God is eternal and properly speaking, this word eternal means outside of time. Jesus is not bound by time. Heaven and hell are everlasting. They have no end. But they are, they're not eternal because they do have a beginning. There was a time when they were created. You and I are everlasting in the sense that we have no end. Our souls don't. And these bodies either because they'll be made new. But we had a true beginning. But the word eternal means no beginning, no end, outside of time. And that is who Jesus Christ is. You and I live in a continuous succession of moments, right? Second, 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 second. And once the second is gone, we can't go back, can we? We we are no longer in the past, we are are in the next second, and the next second, and the next second. We live in a continuous succession of moments. Not true for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is at all times now. right? He is at every moment in history now. This is very mysterious. This is hard to wrap our minds around. Here's the best way I know to articulate it. In His divine nature which is distinct from the human nature that Christ took upon Himself in the Incarnation. In His divine nature, Christ is at all times, at one time. So choose any moment you would like. At this very moment, if we can speak that way, Christ is at the creation of the world, and He's at the scene of David fighting Goliath. He's at His own birth. He's at His own crucifixion. He's at your birth. He's at the attack on Pearl Harbor. He's at Washington's crossing of the Delaware. He's at the day of your death. He's at the fall of Rome. He's at the day that he returns to earth. He's at the tragic events that took place in Connecticut this week. He's at the fall of man in the garden. He's a gazillion years into the future. And he is all of those places at one time truly This is what it means to be eternal. You are outside of time. He is in all time, fully, comprehensively at once. And so Jesus looked at the religious leaders and he said, Before Abraham was, I am. Not, Not before Abraham was, I was. I'm older than Abraham. That's not what he said. He said, Before Abraham was, I am. And that is how Jesus is. Now, this is complicated for us. It's not complicated for Christ. It's confusing to us. It's not confusing for Christ. It should humble us. It should remind us that Christ in His Godness is far above us. He's different from us. He's greater than us. He's glorious beyond our grasp. And a little word to dads and moms in the room as we teach our children about Christmas, as we teach our children about the birth of Christ, let's make sure that our children know that Jesus did not begin to exist at Christmas, that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There has never been a time when He was not. He is eternal. Now the second truth we see in these verses is this. Before His incarnation... Jesus existed as a spirit. Jesus existed as a spirit. Verse 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word is Christ, right? The Word is the expression of God. Christ is the expression of God the Father, He is the image of God the Father. He is the eternally begotten One who springs forth from God the Father, is the perfect representation of God the Father. Jesus is the Word, and in verse 14, the Word became flesh. So if the Word was not flesh until Christmas, well, what, was, what was the Word before then? Well, the answer is He was a spirit. This is true because Jesus is God, and God is a spirit. He does not have a body like men. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all God. They are all a part of the essential nature of God, and God is a spiritual being. So the Father is a spirit, the Son is a spirit, the Holy Spirit is a spirit, and these are three persons and yet one God. Jesus did not become a person at the Incarnation. Jesus has already and always been a person. Now, what does that mean that he was a spirit, a personable spirit? All the way back into eternity past, before time, he is a personable spirit. Well, one, thing, one way to consider what that means is to compare and contrast Jesus to angels. Because angels are also spiritual beings. They are spirits that don't have bodies like us, right? Angels are invisible to the human eye except for when God determines that they should be seen. Angels do not have flesh and blood. They are not limited to a particular form, right? You and I, we, I can't become a different shape than I am, right? Angels are not bound in that way but can appear in various forms. When they do appear, sometimes they appear glorious, Right? like the heavenly host appearing to the shepherds, or like those moments when we find people, an angel appears to someone, and the person falls on their face, and the angel has to say, do not fear, right? And then there are times when angels appear as just regular people. The book of Hebrews says that even people have entertained angels unawares, that people have welcomed people they thought were just regular people into their home, and they weren't human beings at all, they were, they were angels, Angels can appear in non-human forms. Remember, Satan appeared in the garden as a serpent. So spirits are not limited to certain forms. Well, all of that is true of Christ. Christ, before the incarnation, was a spirit. He was invisible. He was not limited to a certain form. He could appear in various ways. So, for example, there are places in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament that speak of the angel of the Lord and seem to speak of this angel of the Lord as if he is the Lord, as if he is Yahweh. In fact, when uh, uh, we have Moses encountering the angel of the Lord speaking out of the burning bush, we're later told that that angel of the Lord was the Lord himself. Most likely that was the Lord Jesus Christ appearing as a visible form speaking out of the bush to Moses. Or well, we remember King Nebuchadnezzar and he looks down into the fiery furnace and there's Shadrach and there's Meshach and there's Abednego and then he... Who's that? Right? I, I didn't throw him in there. Who's that? And he, and he tells those around him, he says, it, it's one who appears as the, as the son of God. Right? And so Jesus likely made appearances on this earth before he came to earth as a human being. He had the appearance of a man, though he had not yet been made a man. And so in all of these ways, Jesus is is like the angels. Now, there are some ways in which Jesus is very different from the angels. First, Jesus is an uncreated spirit. The angels are created spirits, right? They They are the handiwork of God. Jesus is uncreated. In fact, He is the source of all life. All life springs forth from Him. There would be no angels had Jesus not made them. Moreover, unlike angels, Jesus is an omnipresent spirit, right? The angels are not omnipresent. They're they're not everywhere at one time. But Jesus, as God, shares in in an attribute we call the immensity of God. The idea that God in His immensity fills all time and space. So this is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. He in His spiritual divine nature fills all things, is everywhere at all times... Everything is before him. He knows all things. He is in all things. The Father as God is everywhere. The Son as God is everywhere. The Spirit as God is everywhere. And these three are one. Three persons, one God in every place at every time. Now, if we're talking about Jesus before the incarnation, why do I keep using the present tense? Why do I say that He is eternal? Why do I say that He is a spirit? Well, what we're going to see, especially on Wednesday night, is that when Jesus became a man, He did not lose His divine nature. Everything we've just said about Christ, everything we're going to say about Christ this morning, about who He was before Mary, before Joseph, before the manger, everything Jesus was in the Old Testament, everything Jesus was before creation, He still is God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is God. Now, truth number three. Truth number three. Jesus is eternal. Jesus was an omnipresent spirit. Number three. Before the incarnation, Jesus was with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus was with the Father and the Spirit. And this hasn't changed either. Verse 1... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Okay, so Justin, what was Jesus doing before Christmas? Well, one thing he was doing was being with the Father and the Spirit, having a relationship with them. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So we've seen that there is no time when Jesus is not... There is no place where Jesus is not. And now we recognize that for all eternity, there is no time, there is no place where Jesus is alone. Our God is a community. Our God is a fellowship of three in one. Jesus has never been solitary. Jesus has never been a loner. Jesus has never been by himself. If you ask, Justin, where is Jesus before he came at Christmas? He is with his Father. He is with the Holy Spirit. And wherever you find one, you find all three. And wherever you find all three, the one is there. They are united together as one, and they relate to one another. They have fellowship with one another. We know from John 17... That this fellowship that Jesus has with the Father and the Spirit is a fellowship of love and and joy and shared glory. Uh, Picture the scene with me. We, We have Jesus in John 17, and He's praying to His Father on the night in which He is to be betrayed. He will be dead by this time tomorrow. The next several hours will be filled with unspeakable anguish. And Jesus praised this in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, the depths of that verse are breathtaking, and when I eventually preach through the book of John, we'll probably spend more than a year in John 17, and we'll spend several ver- sermons just on that verse, because it's, it's very rich, it's very good, there's, there's a lot of glorious truth in that verse. The main thing for us to see right now is that Christ's relationship with the Father before the Incarnation and after is one of love, is one of love. And this is not small love. God loves all that is good with an infinite love and Jesus is all good. So for all eternity, Jesus has lived in the conscious experience of a love deeper and wider and broader than the oceans. The love of the Father for the Son is greater than that. This very universe... Which stretches out beyond our imagination is an expression of the depths and the width and the breadth of God's love for Christ. Mount Hermon, picture. Picture the most loved you've ever felt in your entire life. Think about a moment in your time in your life when you felt more love than you have ever felt before. Multiply that by infinity, and you know something of what Christ has experienced for all eternity. Jesus has lived in the conscious love of the Father forever and ever and ever. And therefore, Christ has lived in eternal joy forever and ever and ever. So, this is Jesus before the incarnation. He is loved by the Father, and He loves His Father. He is deeply and He is immeasurably happy And Jesus and his Father share in a glory, a glory so brilliant. It makes our own blazing sun look like a speck of brown dust. John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed, Christ dwelt with God in unapproachable light. When they decided to begin creating, they created cherubim and seraphim. And these creatures were created with the capacity to varying degrees to behold the glory of the Father, of the Son, and the Spirit. They joyfully extol their attributes forever and ever. And so Jesus, before Christmas, was an invisible spirit, but a spirit that could appear in various forms whenever He chose to, he was everywhere at every time. He is with his Father, with his Spirit. He lives in the love of the Father. He lives in the joy that comes to him from the Father. He shares the glory of the Father. There's a place called heaven that they create where their presence comes in particular power, surrounded by cherubim and seraphim and other heavenly creatures. They're worshiped, they are lauded, they are praised. And in this relationship, Christ joined with His Father and with the Holy Spirit in agreeing to a special plan. They are of one heart, of one mind in this plan. They covenant together in this plan. It is a plan to express all of their glorious attributes. It is a plan to put on display before creatures that have been given the capacity to varying degrees to experience this, they're going to put on display all of their glory. They're going to create a universe, a moral universe, in which the opposite of God, evil, is going to be present. And Christ is going to show the glories of God by becoming a savior for sinners. The redemptive plan... The the covenant of redemption, the purpose of God for your salvation and my salvation was agreed on by Father, Son, and Spirit long before Christmas came about. So, what do we know about Christ before Christmas from John 1? Well, so far we know that He is eternal. He's outside of time. We know that He is a Spirit, like the Father in the Spirit with all that that Means We know that He was with the Father. We know that He was with the Spirit in glorious relationship. Now number four. The fourth truth concerning Christ before the incarnation found in these verses is this. All things were made through Him. All things were made through Him. <laughs> right? What was Jesus doing before He was a baby? Well, for one, He was making things. It was through Him it was through the word of god that the universe was created even before the new testament was written genesis 3 i'm sorry genesis 1 hinted in several ways that god is one and yet three and that each member of the trinity was involved in god's work of creation so for example the very first verse of the bible in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth Okay, well that, that sounds like one God. But the Hebrew word is Elohim. It's a plural word. Literally, the, the, the word Elohim means gods, not God. So you, you would think we would translate it. In the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. But wait, all of the Hebrew words around the word Elohim are in the singular. Meaning, the word Elohim, which they modify, is to be translated in the singular. Now, the point of that grammatical lesson is to say we have a plural word that were to be translated into the singular. Why would they do that in the very first verse of the Bible? What are they saying? Did God not know what he was doing? Did he make mistakes in his grammar? No. He is saying, I am both singular and plural. I am the one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. There is no God but me. I am one. And I am three. And then we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And we see Jesus as the Father speaks, let there be light. Jesus is the Word of God through whom the earth was created. We get down to Genesis 1.26 and God is speaking to Himself. He doesn't say, let me make God in my image. He says, let us make God in our own image. So already in the book of Genesis, in the very first chapter, we have all of this this strange teaching that God is both one, and yet He is three, He is singular, and yet He is plural. So when we get to the New Testament, we're not surprised to learn that that God created the world and that each member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, played a role. Listen to Colossians 1.16 and what it says about Jesus' role. It says, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So you see, Jesus was the actual agent of creation. God the Father willed the earth to be. Christ the Son made it be. He is the creator of all things. Truth number five. Truth number five. Not only did Jesus create everything before Christmas, before he was a baby, but he also sustains all things. Sustains all things. Listen to uh, Colossians 1.16, and then we'll, we'll see it in John in a minute. Colossians 1.16 is what I just quoted. Here's the very next verse, Colossians 1.17. And He, Christ, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In other words, Jesus is the one who by His power maintains the existence of the created universe. Hebrews 1:3 He is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power The Greeks spoke of this mythological god named Atlas right who carried the world carried the earth on his shoulders The truth is very different Jesus fills every inch, not only of earth, but of this universe. And Jesus maintains its existence. One moment of weakness from Christ and everything we know would cease to exist. All Jesus has to do is change his mind and you and I and everything in this universe would be immediately annihilated, gone, cease. Jesus is the creator of all. Jesus is the sustainer of all. And this is no struggle for him. right? We, uh, usually if you see pictures of Atlas, he's got the earth on his shoulder and he's struggling to keep it up. Jesus sustains the entire universe. And it's easy for him. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't break a sweat. Right? It's, it's just who he is. He sustains all things. In fact, he enjoys it because it's part of His Father's plan to glorify the the Father that He loves so much. So it's it's a joy to Christ to sustain all things. John 1 says it this way, verse 4. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, all of life comes from Christ John 5, 26, As the Father has life in Himself, so has He granted the Son also to have life in Himself so that all life in this universe comes from Christ, is sustained by Christ. This is true of all physical life. This is true of all spiritual life. So so think about it this way. Picture Abraham, okay? Okay? And, and we don't have pictures of Abraham, so you just picture some guy in your mind and call him Abraham, however you want to picture him, okay? We're not allowed to do that with God. We're allowed to do that with Abraham. Picture Abraham in your mind, however you want to picture him. Picture him at 105 years old. 105, so he's an older man. Picture him sitting at his tent there in, in Canaan. Now Jesus is there. Jesus is there as invisible, comprehensive, almighty spirit, The Father is there. The Holy Spirit is there. Abraham was created by Christ. Abraham is being kept in existence at that moment by Christ. Should Christ choose, Abraham would cease to exist. Boom. But he doesn't cease to exist because Jesus sustains him by the word of his power. Abraham's physical life is being sustained by Christ. Now, should Christ choose, Abraham's life could end in that moment. Boom. And he doesn't just cease to exist. No, he just falls over dead. Boom. Right? Because Christ is both the sustainer of his existence and Christ is the sustainer of his life. Right? Physical life. But then not only that, Christ is the sustainer of his spiritual life. So that all Jesus would have to do is think it for a moment, choose to do it, and all of Abraham's faith would be gone. All of his spiritual life would be gone. Abraham would be immediately plummeted back into unbelief and depravity and the the paganism of his youth. So you see, Jesus is the sustainer of Abraham's existence. Jesus is the sustainer of Abraham's life. Jesus is the sustainer of Abraham's spiritual life. And that's true for you and me. Jesus upholds us in all of these ways by what Hebrews calls the word of his power. Now, what are we to make of all this? When we think about our Lord Jesus Christ, we we must not begin with Luke chapter 2. We must not begin at his birth as if that was the beginning of Christ. When we think about Christ, we must begin in eternity past, We must look through all that He has done in history. What was Christ doing before Bethlehem? He was enjoying fellowship with the Godhead. He was dwelling in unimaginable glory. He was creating the world. He was sustaining all things. He was giving life to spiritually dead people. He was saving souls. Now, closing this way, here is the sneak peek for Wednesday night, okay? When Jesus took on human flesh, none of that ceased to be true. Jesus did not lose any part of his divine nature in the incarnation. Jesus did not cease to be eternal. Jesus did not cease to be spiritual. He did not cease to have relationship with his Father or the Spirit. Jesus did not cease to be the creator of all things. He did not cease to be the sustainer of all things. Everything that happened in the incarnation was a matter of addition, not subtraction. John Owen says it this way, Jesus became what he was not, but he did not cease to be what he always was. Although he was then on earth as a son of man, Yet he was still God, and in his divine nature was still with God in heaven. So so grasp that, church. Jesus came to earth, took on a human nature, and yet in his divine nature he was still everything he ever was, omnipresent, ruling over all things, with the Father, with the Spirit. Augustine put it this way, Jesus was born of a mother without leaving his father. Here's the mystery. Just marvel, worship for a second. Here it is. When Mary picked up her little baby, that very person, Jesus, was simultaneously a spirit filling all things everywhere at all times. Jesus, in his human nature, was in Mary's arms. Jesus was being held by her. Jesus was being loved by her. And at the same time, in his divine nature, she was in his arms, And He was sustaining her. And He was loving her. And He was holding her. Indeed, at the very moment that Jesus was being held as an infant in Mary's arms, His very Spirit was at every other place, at every other time, including that moment and that time, including this moment and this time. And He was at work, fulfilling His Father's purposes. This is so mysterious. Two natures, one person, before, He was one person with one nature. Now, He remains one person, but He is one person with two natures. He is everything God is, and He is everything a man is. God in all strength, man in all weakness, without sin. All in one person. As God, He is everywhere. He is with you every moment to care for you. As a man, He is your second Adam. Adam the one who was able to be your ambassador, your representative in his life and death. As a man, he now sympathizes with you and your weaknesses. He has been tempted in every way as you have. Church, he is a complete and awesome Savior. He is everything we need him to be. Do we trust him? Is he ours? Are we resting in him? He is worthy of that. He's glorious beyond what we can grasp. Let us love him. Let's pray.